We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. You can be seated. You can be seated. Come on, somebody. I am so excited. We start off our brand new series called Pretty Ugly People this week. It is going to be a fun series, as you can tell by the title. We're not missing words up in here, but I want to share with you some things that happened this past week as a result of our Reverse Giving Sunday. If you weren't here last week, man, you picked a really bad week to miss church. If this is your first time, I'm sorry. Last week, we made sure that everybody in this building left with an envelope full of cash. And no, I'm not kidding. And they were given one thing to do with that cash, and it's give it away. So we had our reverse giving Sunday. Everybody left with uh, an envelope of cash. And I want to tell you some of the amazing things that happened this week. As a result of our giving um, this week in, in that way, um, we had a, a, a young man who, uh, who ended his life, unfortunately, at 12 years old in Utah. His family was given a financial gift to help support them during this time. Y'all, our generosity reached to Utah. How crazy is that? But more locally, um, our custodian, Mr. Bill, who I shared with last week, who lost his home in a, in a fire with seven of his um, other people in his household, he took care of that many people, um, we were able to give him a sizable donation to help him recover his life after the fire. Some of you, I know, took that financial blessing, that cash, and some of you bought somebody's food. Some of you took somebody else out to coffee and said, I just want to be generous and cover this for you. How amazing, amazing is the fact that when we give to God, he'll turn around and bless it. Can I tell you that we gave that that offering to you guys to, to distribute. And can I tell you that some amazing things happened this week that I can't share with you yet, but I can tell you that we received more back in our giving than we gave away. Uh, not only that, but uh, another church has told us this past week that they're going to step in and bless us in a huge way that I did not see coming. And I believe it's because of our generosity and our heart for God's kingdom and to not be closed-handed, but to be open-handed with everything that he gives us. Can y'all just give it up for Jesus and the amazing things he did through our series, uh, This Is What We Do, and the generosity that happened last week. Um, so this week we're going to start, and we're going to start a conversation about what happens on the inside of us and how we deal with ugly people who are on the outside of us and what happens when we're the ugly people. <laughs> oh, man right? It's going to be crazy. How many of you have heard the term curb appeal? Curb appeal. All right, so it's when you're house shopping or you're looking into a new home to buy or an investment property, if you're a business person in that way, and you roll up on a house and you have what's called a curb appeal. And either the house you will either go into this house or refuse to go in this house based on its outward appearances, right? I don't know if you love HGTV like I do, but I've seen some things. 
I've seen some things on there. I've seen some things on there that makes me wary about buying homes. Liz and Eric are in the process of buying a home, and they had a home inspection and all of those things that go along with uh, purchasing a house. But the one thing they said is, hey, when we rolled up on the house, it looked really good on the outside, right? And then a little bit further in, and they go, oh, okay, so it's not so great. So when a home has curb appeal, you roll up on it, and right, and the windows are clean, and the front door looks inviting. It looks like a hobbit hole, right? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Lord of the Rings, people. Y'all feel me? Thank you. Thank you. That's my son. He knows. He's been indoctrinated. Um, but it's more welcoming than a hobbit hole in summer, okay? It's looking, looking fresh. Landscaping is on point. Gravel path up to the th mailbox is wonderful. And it looks amazing. Backyard, white picket fence, the whole nine. But what happens when you go in and it looks like a scene from Austin Powers with some shag carpet and some dark paneling from the 70s and it smells like it's been smoked in for 40 years and then you go in the attic and you see all the termites and they're like, yo, what's up? While they're eating. And then you go in the basement and there's some mold that's been there since 1962 and it's brought friends with it. And you're like, dang, this house that I was so ready to purchase from the outside, I'm not so sure I want to purchase when I get on the inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about, curb appeal. How many times have you met a person mm, that looked good from the outside, but then there was something on the inside? Today's message is going to be aimed at helping us develop something that's going to help us for the rest of our lives with relationships. A lot of this is going to sound like advice for dating people because it is. It is. But it's also about all the other relationships we have in our lives and who we let into the key seats at the tables of our lives. We're going to talk about um, what it looks like to manage relationships with people who can be ugly sometimes. So this morning, I have a little bit of an unconventional question for you. This morning, have you ever seen a pig with a gold nose ring? Have you? Have you ever seen a pig with a gold nose ring? Hmm. I haven't. In life, one of the most valuable experiences we will have are relationships. Honestly, at the end of the day, you can't take your stuff, you can't take your things, you can't take your car, I don't care if it is a Tesla and I'm a little jealous of you, you still can't take it with you, but if you do go before me, can you just let me, you write that into your will for me, no? Listen, the most valuable thing in your life is relationships, but so many times we will throw away relationships and waste our time on people who are ugly on the inside. You see, we transmit truth through relationships or we transmit lies. And in our closest relationships, we can co-create even new lives and new relationships. I mean, the Bible says, and the two shall become one flesh. I did that three times. They're named Key and Oliver and Phoebe. That's amazing to me. Out of a relationship comes new life. 
And listen, it's an eternal relationship after all. The one that you hold with Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again just for you that's going to carry you through this life and into the next. That's how valuable relationships are. And yet so many times we treat them like they don't matter at all. And it can be so ugly. It's through our earthly relationships that we can also be pushed away from the one relationship with Jesus that's going to matter most. So have you ever seen a pig with a gold nose ring? Solomon says this, he said, as a gold, a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Ouch. Have you ever seen a pig with a golden nose ring? The answer is no. No. Why? We wouldn't waste a beautiful ring of gold, something costly and valuable, and stick it in the nose of one of the filthiest, most reckless beasts on the planet, right? That dude's going to be scrapple in 30 days. <laughs> you would not do that. You would not stick a ring of gold in a pig's nose. But how many times, ladies, have you looked over somebody's serious character flaws because he was cute? How many times, gentlemen, have you overlooked how vastly ignorant a woman is because she was otherwise endowed, shall we say? How many times do we give our very, very best, the gold of our most intimate relationships, our ears, our attention, our affections over to someone who would never, ever appreciate it, who doesn't care about it, and who would never be transformed by the investment? How many times? How many times? Our lack of discretion can be so costly. Our lack of discretion in relationships, our lack of discernment, especially in the most important romantic relationship in our life, your spouse is destined to change you and transform you in powerful ways. That is the key seat in your life. Stop looking for a person worthy of that relationship in a pig trough. Stop doing it. Proverbs 2.11 says it this way. It says, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Understanding will guard you and discretion will protect you. But a lot of us run around lacking discretion and lacking discernment in relationships and we allow everybody and their mama into our lives that should not be there. And we'll allow people to speak over us lies, fabrications at best, and we'll believe every single one of them. We run around sticking gold in everybody's nose. Oh, you're so special. Come here. But we don't listen for the squeal. Mm, in studying 
all of this, I was reminded of the passage in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, who was teaching the difference between judgment and discernment, because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just clarify, because I'm sick and tired of hearing this. Um, Y'all can't be judging. Yes, I can, because I have been called on to make right judgments and to be judgmental, especially in the house of God. So if you're a Christian and you're running around acting not like Christ, I am to judge you and then step in and say, hey, knock it off. And say, this is not the way. This is not what we do. We are called to use judgment and we're called to use discernment. That's different than picking on folks who are in sin. It's very different. But Jesus said this way. He said, do not cast your pearls before swine. And then he followed that and he said, give what, do not give what is sacred to the dogs. Do not give what is sacred to the dog. He teaches that we're not to be hypocritical judges, yet we must be able to discern the swine lest we cast our pearls before them. We have to be able to discern the swine. And the ability to discern truths about people is a valuable ability to have today. Because y'all, people are crazy. Okay? And they lie because their father is the father of lies. And they catfishing on the internet dating people. They don't look like that. I watched this man, okay, sidetrack, this is going to get crazy. I watched this man on one of them crazy talk shows just for a, for a hot second because I was like, this man can't be this ignorant. And on stage is this beautiful model-like woman in her mid-twenties, I mean, Beautiful, perfect hair, perfect teeth, perfect everything, right? And this man in his mid-50s with a beer gut was like, I just don't understand it. That was her profile picture, but now um, that's not, that's, you're telling me that she doesn't want to marry me? I've sent her thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars and she doesn't want to marry me? No, because some fool used her picture and told you a bunch of lies, but you put your gold ring in that pig snout and you didn't even wait to see if it squealed because you got too caught up and you lacked discernment. Somebody say discernment. Come on. Now listen, Solomon wrote a lot of wise advice that he really should have took himself. Y'all ever catch the irony of that? Solomon wrote some serious words of wisdom. But bro, you so dumb, you had 700 women. Ain't nobody need 700 or nothing. <laughs> Especially not wives. No. But he wrote this. And I believe it is valuable because he figured something out. After 700 women plus concubines, I think you're going to figure some stuff out, right? We'll give him the benefit of the doubt, Right? Fool got to figure out something. So he said this. He said in Psalm, in Proverbs 31 and 30, he said, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There are two, uh, there are more important things than curb appeal. 
more important things. A person may be pretty on the outside, but on inside, they can be cute, but they can be gold diggers. And Jesus said something like this. He said, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Listen, somebody might have great curb appeal, but the foundation is cracked and their whole life is sliding off as pillars. But you're still looking at them like they're the best thing ever. Come on, somebody. So what do we need to do to cultivate discernment in our relationships? How can we take on the duty of due diligence to ensure that our souls are not in danger of being pulled into destruction by someone who looks cute but lacks substance? How do we do this? So we're going to look into the lives of two Old Testament people today to see if we can't glean some wisdom on how we can gain discernment. You might have heard of these two people before. Let me know if you have. His name is King Ahab and a little chica Mika called Jezebel. Now, if you've been a woman in church for very long, you have probably been accused of being a Jezebel. You are not. But listen, you could be. So let's figure out how not to be. Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Bad company corrupts good character. And there is no other relationship in your life. I need to emphasize this. No other relationship in your life that will impact your life more than your romantic choice. So let's take a look at this cautionary tale, okay? We've got Ahab who becomes king over Israel. Now this is after the split. Solomon's son, who didn't apparently follow any of his advice, made a split between the two kingdoms. And so now we have Judah and Israel. Well, Israel now has a new king. Ahab steps on the scene. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, remember that's the other kingdom, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Let me stop right there. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he led the entire nation of Israel into idolatry and sin single-handedly. Not only did he call in the worship of Baal at that time, Jeroboam did, but he also made it legal to worship God in the city. Like it got worser and worser. And so every king subsequent to this king was like, um, he's the measure of evil. And so they'll say, well, they weren't as bad as Jeroboam, or they'll say he was worse than this guy. So we've got the pillar of evil, and we know now from this verse that Ahab was much, much worse. And it's, this is why it says, this is crazy. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal. Important to note, Ethbaal actually has Baal in it. So basically, he took on the false god's name. So that'll tell you where this guy's at, okay? Her daddy. Her daddy was jacked up. Let's go. And 
he, uh, he was the king of Sidonians and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and he built, uh, that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, which is another goddess, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did the kings before him, than did all of the kings before him. Ah. Yikes. Here's two points I have about this. Ahab chose to follow a girl who didn't know God. He chose to follow a girl that wasn't in love with Jehovah. He chose, not only did he know that she didn't love God, but he knew that her whole family, her family of origin, was absolutely jacked up with idol worship. Come on. He knew it and he pulled the trigger anyway. Can I just encourage you, those of you who are in that dating realm of life, first of all, I'm so sorry for you. That is hard. But can I tell you, do not compromise and try to mission date somebody in the hopes that this person is going to fall in love with Jesus. It's not going to work. And can I tell you that God doesn't need your help. He is big enough that he can handle it on your own. You don't need to be a missionary dating people. He is big enough to reach anyone on the planet without you compromising your faith for it. Okay? The person who is trying to pull you down has gravity on their side. If Charlie stepped up here and I tried to pull Charlie up, what is more likely to happen is that Charlie's going to pull me down. It's so much harder to pull somebody up than to have somebody pull you down. You're going to go down every single time. So here we have in the Old Testament, we have Ahab and Jezebel. And God is warning them over and over. They send the prophet Elijah one of my favorite confrontational scenes in the Old Testament is that between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. He challenges them to a God competition. And he says, you're going to go on your side of the mountain. I'm going to go on my side of the mountain. And we're going to see who's going to show up and show off. Okay, y'all, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to build an altar and build a sacrifice and you're going to do the same thing. And you call on your God and I'll call on my God. And we're going to see who comes up with this offering and sacrifice first. So they do as instructed. And the prophets of Baal are standing on a mountain screaming at their God. Come on. I want you to burn up this offering. And Elijah, I love Elijah because he's so smart mouth with it. And he knows that this isn't going to fly because he knows that Baal isn't even real. And so he says, hey, listen, talk louder. Maybe he'll hear you. And they start screaming and they cut themselves. Literally began to cut their own blood, like cut their bodies and sacrifice themselves to try to get the attention of this God. So Elijah hollers back at him, hey, maybe if you did it a little louder, he'd hear you. Maybe he's sleeping. And it doesn't work. And then Elijah steps up. And he prays. Before that, he has them douse 
the whole entire sacrifice and the wood around it with water. Just cover it. Just in case they didn't get the idea that God was going to show up. He said, we're just going to go ahead and make sure you know that this is real. And he dropped down and he prayed. And God showed up and lit that thing up till there was nothing left. Fire dropped from the sky and burnt up the sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but if the priests and the prophets that I'm following are standing there cutting themselves and screaming and yelling, and I see fire fall from the sky and consume my enemy's sacrifice, y'all, I have just experienced conversion. I'm not following that anymore. What more warning do you need? What more sign could you possibly need than the God of all heaven and earth burning up a sacrifice in one fell swoop with fire from heaven? That would get my attention. But apparently not. Apparently not. So Ahab in 1 Kings 21, 20 through 25, we see this account. And Ahab says to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I would be crawling on my knees to this dude at this point. But oh no, not Ahab. And I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, Elijah says. He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. He goes, I'll take care of you, your family, and everybody who works for you. God tells him this. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel. He said, oh, by the way, I don't to forget your boo either. Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those who belong to Ahab who die in the city. And the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites that God, the Lord drove out before Israel. This is what not to do, friends. Jezebel was so absolutely riddled with evil that she never even recalled the God who burned the sacrifice. It didn't matter to her. It didn't stop her. She was going to continue. And she continued. As a matter of fact, Ahab, now I just picture him as this spoiled brat. He is in Israel and he sees a vineyard out among his people. And he says, I really love the way the east sun hits this. And I want this vineyard. So he goes to the owner of the vineyard. He says, yo, I want your vineyard. Sell it to me. And the guy's like, no, I'm not selling it to you. This is my vineyard. It's been in my family for years. You got the whole kingdom. It's my plot. So Ahab goes home and literally the Bible tells us that he sulks so hard that he refuses to eat or get out of bed. This dude is laying around in his silk pajamas whining. Because he can't have the vineyard. So Jezebel comes in and she goes, what's wrong with you? And he says, I really wanted that vineyard, babe. And she's like, who are you? 
I'm going to go have this dude murdered. I'm going to go get you your vineyard. No problem. So she literally goes, has the dude killed. And she goes, there's your vineyard. Okay, are you happy now? And he's like, thank you so much, sweetie. You're like the best thing ever. And this is what happens in the end. 2 Kings 9.30 says this about, I'm sorry, back that thing up. 1 Kings 22, 34 through 38. Ahab is in war. And it says, but someone drew out his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. That's a called shot. They rolled a 20. Hit that dude. He's done. And the king, Ahab, tells his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread throughout the army, every man to his town, every man to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria where the prostitutes bathed. And the dogs licked up, licked up his blood. That's gross. Like, that's how I know the Bible's really true and accurate because it gives details like that. Like, who, who knows these things? Good grief. You know why they licked up his blood? Because God told them that they was going to do it. God declared it. And then we've got Jezebel. Listen, her husband is dead. Boo, don't stop. She's like, that's okay put my eyes on, get my eyebrows right. I heard Jehu is in Jezreel. I'm going to go see Jehu in Jezreel. So she rolls to Jezreel, goes and places herself in a tower, and Jehu is coming into Jezreel. This woman looks out and she's like, are you an enemy or a friend? Because I need a friend. And Jehu says, is there anybody up in that tower who has had enough. And three eunuchs stuck their head out the window and they're like, present. Jehu says, then throw her down. They chuck sister out the window, lipstick and all. You know why? Because the eunuchs heard the squeal that Ahab missed when he stuck his gold ring in her nose. They knew that she was jacked up and evil. And this is what happens. He said, throw her down. We're in verse 33. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. So Jehu just rolled over. Rolled over her derriere. And then this is what happens next. Jehu said, Go ahead and take care of that cursed woman. Bury her because she was a king's daughter. Not that she was a good person, but she was a king's daughter. So he has more respect for the station than she ever did. And so he says, okay, cool, we're going to bury her. This is, this is what happens though. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull and her feet and hands. Well, that's a mess, isn't it? You know why? Because the Lord spoke through the servant Elijah the Tishbite on the plot of ground 
in Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh and Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground in the plot of Jezreel so that no one will be able to say this is Jezebel. So let's talk about discernment in relationships. Because I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down, but you better have some. Because you don't need a Jezebel or a Jezebel up in your life. <laughs> Ladies, we are not, are, are not uh, exceptions to this because we all think like, oh, he's Channing Tatum. And he's not, okay? So how can we ensure that the person we are dating or the person that we're allowing into our inner circle is a person of quality who God has placed in our life to help us press onward to Christ and not just to please them? How can we place people in our lives who are going to help us achieve our goals in keeping with God's standards of righteousness and holiness that he set? We have to discern. We have to test and see who people really are before we make the purchase. It's called due diligence. When you're buying a house, you do due diligence. You have a home inspector who is not associated with either realtor Go and check that place out so you can figure it out. So how do we do that with people? The first point I want to make to you is don't stop at curb appeal. Don't stop at his picture on that app, boo. Don't look at her and think, okay, she's the one. Look at that. She got the whole thing that I've always ever wanted. She looks like the woman that I've idolized for years. Notice the word idolized. Listen, don't look at what you see only because true beauty is so much more than what you see on the outside. I'm going to give you two bold examples. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul actually wrote to the Corinthians and he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10, uh, they, they were saying of him, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive. This is the Paul who, who is, the reason why I'm standing here is because the Apostle Paul fought for the early church and started the early church and figured out all of the Gentiles coming to Jesus in the early church. And one person named Onesiphorus sees Paul, and this is what we have a written account of what Paul actually physically looked like. This is Paul. Jesus is Paul. Paul who went into heaven. Paul who saw all kinds of things. Paul who led. Paul who was godly. The Paul. Got it? He's like the man, the man, right? If I wanted to hang out with anybody, I want to hang out with Paul. Paul's got it on lock. But this is what Antiphorus says. He says, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs. In a good state of body with eyebrows meeting Dude calls him out for having a unibrow. <laughs> and his nose somewhat hooked. This is like hope for all right here. Full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man. And now he had a face of an angel. You see, there was something about Paul that he might not have looked like much on the outside, but he was an angel on the inside. He has an angel on the inside. Listen to what Isaiah says about somebody you might, you might know, hope you know. It says in, in Isaiah 53 too, that he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus. Jesus wasn't physically attractive. He wasn't a hottie from Wiscotti. Okay? But he was holy and righteous and willing to die on the cross for you. And you still looking if the man has guns like you want. You're still looking at the ladies, the height you wanted. There's so much more than curb appeal that you got to look for. So I'm going to give you a really, really quick acronym that I want you to write down that you're looking for in people in your life. You are looking for a fart. <laughs> if you're a kid in here, you better be laughing because that's funny, okay? But it's F-A-A-R-T, okay? You are looking for a fart in your life, okay? You are looking for somebody who is faithful. That's the F. You are looking for somebody who has an obvious love of God, an obvious love of people. You want to ask, how do they connect to others? Do they listen and do they serve? How do they talk about others when other people aren't around? That's a big indication, right? If they have an obvious hunger for God, you want to ask about their faith. What do they believe about God? Are they content with their faith or do they want more? How do they describe their personal relationship with God? Ask these questions, please. It's important. The second letter is A, adaptable. Do they have a what can I do attitude? Are they focusing on problems or solutions? Because when your sink is busted and your kid is crying, you're going to want somebody who can step in and do a lot more than look good, okay? Can I get an amen from the mamas? Yes. So how do they respond to any sort of change? The second A is ambitious. Yes, I said it, ambitious. Are they self-motivated? They don't have to be asked to take a step forward. They're willing to try things and fail. They take on assigned tasks and unassigned tasks with energy and creativity. Are responsible. Do they have integrity? Do their words and actions line up in big and small things? Are they dependable? Are they there when it counts? Do they pick up the phone? Do they show up when they say they will? Because it matters, ladies and gentlemen. It matters. T, are they teachable? Are they willing to learn? Do they have a growth mindset? Are they humble? How do they respond to praise? How do they respond to criticism? Those are important things to look at. How often do they turn the conversation back to themselves? If it's all about them, you might, you might have stumbled onto some truths you're not ready for. The second point I want to make today, so that's fart. You're welcome. You'll remember it. You will. It'll be good. You'll remember it. And can I tell you, this is actually the teaching that I taught our team on how to look for leaders in the church. That when they're leading their team, this is what they're looking on. And you know what? We will literally say in a staff meeting, yes, this person has a lot of fart potential. <laughs> I see a lot of fart in this person. And we all know what we're talking about because we all know that they're showing that they're faithful and adaptable, reliable, teachable. The second point I want to make to you is listen for the squeal. Listen for the squeal. 
before you put a ring on it. You better listen. People will eventually show their true colors, but you have to spend time, real time, with them. They will eventually wink in front of you. They will squeal, and that nose ring will get covered in mud, but you're going to need to stick around and spend time in uncomfortable situations to see their depth of maturity and responsibility. You're going to have to see them for real. So my suggestion to you is spend time close to Jesus. Because I can tell you the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I press into his righteousness and his holiness, the more I read his word and I learn his character, then the more glaring and obvious it is when I am around somebody who does not have his character. I can pick up on small things pick up on small things that I'm like, oh, Jesus is going to have to work that out of you before you step into the inner circle of my life because I'm not having it close to me. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you're going to see the fruit, the enemy in someone's life. Can I tell you that if you eat bad bananas all the time, you won't know what a fresh banana tastes like? If you eat nasty fruit all the time, you will never know what a fresh, crisp apple tastes like. But if you eat a fresh, crisp, wonderful apple, when you bite into that bad one, you're going to go, oh, that's mealy. I'm not eating that. That's nasty. That ain't going to make a good pie. Right? If you spend time with the real thing, you spend time with Jesus, the fake is so evident. So spend time alone and quiet, reading your Bible, praying, and listening to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says to us that the person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You have to have the Spirit of God so that you can discern. No Jesus, no discernment. No Holy Spirit on the inside, no discernment. Spend time with people who are godly. Let their spiritual depth, their way of being in this world help you know what you're looking for in people to bring into the key seats of your life. You want to find a person of character and integrity? Go where there are people of character and integrity. You want to find a pig? Go to a pigsty. Honey, you don't want to find a man or a woman in a bar, okay? Ain't going to work out. You ain't going to find them on the street corner. And I'm not sure about Walmart either, okay? I'm saying at least go to Target. That's a joke. Strictly a white girl joke. It's okay. Listen what James writes to us. James, yes, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. In 3, 9 through 17, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a squeal come out of a mouth of anything but a pig? Not likely. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt 
spring uh, produce fresh water. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, then full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you want to reach, reap a harvest of righteousness in your life, don't stop at curb appeal and listen for the squeal. Do not let key people into those key seats in your life. Don't let them sit next to you at the table. Don't bring them into your inner circle until you know their character. Don't rush into a relationship with a man or a woman when you haven't had time to find out who they really are. Can I tell you one of the best ways to find your future spouse is to serve at church because you will hear a squeal real quick. Because we wake up early, we set up, things go wrong, production is crazy, setting up tables, somebody's going to bang their toe, and you will hear a... You'll hear that squeal when you rub them on the shoulders and you're like, okay, I see that, I see that there. Don't stop a curb appeal and listen for the squeal. Listen today, if you want to have a discerning heart, a discerning spirit, then you need the one who can give it to you. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to a relationship with him that's going to bring you life change, that's going to help you in discernment, that's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying, I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again, and that's the promise of my resurrection into eternal life with him and that he's going to fill me with the Holy Spirit and that that Holy Spirit is going to give me discernment. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I want you to go ahead and get out your phones as crazy as that sounds because you're going to have an opportunity to let us know that you said yes to Jesus through your phone. It's simple. No raising your hand. No embarrassing. We don't embarrass people in this church. I hate that. I only embarrass myself, okay? That's who I embarrass. I walk around the stage squealing like a pig. Isn't that crazy? I'll do anything short of sin for you to know Jesus. Father, somebody in this room is going to say yes to you today, and I'm so grateful for it. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask them to pray with me in their hearts. Father, I thank you that you hear us when we pray. Jesus, this morning, I say yes to you. I say, that's me. I'm the one who needs to say yes to Jesus. I want to have your Holy Spirit. I want to have discernment. I want to be in a relationship with you that leads me into an eternal life with you. One where there's no tears and no sorrow and no death and no pain. I'm excited for that promise. So I say yes to you, Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity. Amen. If that's you and you said yes to Jesus just now, 
you can snap that QR code that's on the screen from your phones. Get sneaky snap. Look, I know y'all open Facebook. You can do this during the sermon, I'm telling you. Or you can text, that's me to 94,000. And those will let us know that you said yes to Jesus. And then we will contact you via text, not phone call. We're not going to freak you out or anything like that throughout the week. If you're here this morning and you've walked away from your relationship with God and you might find yourself ugly on the inside, you used to have a relationship with God that was life-giving and real, but now mm, you're not so sure, I want to offer you the opportunity to recommit yourself to Jesus this morning. You're going to have the same opportunity. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And then you too can snap the QR code on the screen or text to 94000. If that's you and you're like, man, I, I really want to get on the right path. I want to have wisdom and discernment. I want to have the Holy Spirit. This is for you. Pray with me right now. God, I want to say I'm back. I want to get back on track with you. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I want to recommit my life to you right now. I say yes. I say that's me. I'm ready to go and I'm back. I ask God that you would guide me this week. I ask that you would help me make choices in keeping with your spirit, righteousness and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if that's you, please make sure that you uh, let us know via text. That would be amazing. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.